Hello and welcome to this edition of The Heart Podcast. I am Dr. Alistair Lindsay and thank you very much for joining us today. Today we'll be discussing a paper recently submitted to Heart entitled Cardiovascular Biomarkers in Cancer Patients and Their Association with All-Cause Mortality. This paper came to us from the University of Vienna in Austria, and I'm delighted to say that two of the main authors uh, join me in the studio just now. Uh, the first author, Dr. Noemi Pavel, and also Professor Martin Hultzmann. Well, it's always nice to have people here in the studio. It gives us an opportunity to discuss in, in a little bit more detail, and I'm, I'm very happy about that because I think this is a, a really fascinating paper with a lot of practical implications for clinical practice. And the first thing we should say is that this is a paper of what I think is a growing field, which is cardio-oncology. And there is now a specific cardio-oncology association, and, and it seems to me that this is an area where research is progressing quite fast. Would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. Uh, years ago, this was more or less an often discussion, uh, mm-hmm. but now in the meetings also, now at the European Society of Cardiology, there are more and more lessons about this problem. Mm. But there are less is less information about the basic science. Um, most interest up to now is in the growing field of cardiotoxic therapy, which is increasing uh, based on newer therapeutic options where again cardiotoxicity is prevalent. Yes, and that cardiotoxicity is very important. What do we know about uh, cardiac problems and complications in, in cancer patients undergoing treatment? The main problem, the main uh, problem is reduced LV function, um, uh, which can be divided into two parts: type one and type two. Type one uh, is a irreversible uh, cardiotoxicity, so we fear more from this, and the other way around is a um, type two cardiotoxicity, um, which is a reversible mode of um, cardiotoxicity and to make it a little bit more complicated we also have the problem that in some times type 2 cardiotoxicity change to type 1 cardiotoxicity mm. in case if there is a, um, a pre-existing heart failure and this is also important in the context of our data yes so that's that's absolutely right, because turning to your paper, what you looked at specifically was blood biomarkers yep. and, and what they can tell us in these groups of patients who have uh, oncological problems, but potentially also cardiac problems. You looked at a very wide panel of cardiac biomarkers. Can you tell us a little bit about why you, you chose that, that panel of biomarkers? Yes, this has also some historical reasons. We are coming from the heart failure area, looking for just this panel of uh, biomarkers since years. We started about 20 years ago and were very interested and found that they were highly predictive, more or less the same with some predominance of uh, antiprobian P where we looked on. But also these other markers had a lot of information also dependent on the stage of the disease. And then we moved on. We were interested, what is a, t- what is a time point that those markers are elevated and prognostic? And then we went, changed to diabetic population, a classical population, which is on cardiovascular risk and found entirely the same. Mm-hmm. And in a third step, 
we decided to go far beyond of cardiovascular diseases or risk populations and went to oncologic patients to look in how far those so-called cardiovascular hormones are elevated at all in nearby every chronic disease. Mm. We wanted to look on the communication between the organs. As we know, there are a lot of so-called cardiorenal syndromes, cardiohepatic syndromes, hepatorenal syndromes. Yes. But it appears that it is more or less the same in chronic disease. It's a kind of upregulation of those hormones a cry of organs. Yes, well, in, in your paper, you call it humoral crosstalk, which I thought was a fantastic phrase. It's, it yeah. really sums it up very nicely. Yeah. Um, so, so you took a broad panel of markers, which we, we can just mention uh, some of them, which are, are quite well known. But obviously, uh, BNP, you looked at, at, at tumor, uh, troponin, of course, yeah. uh, vasopressin. Um, yeah. Why did you, you chose this particular panel for, for, for the reason of its breadth, obviously? Um, why did you choose to do an oncological study at, at this particular time? Was it perhaps because of the increase in the momentum on, on the research or was it because you're getting more patients referred to you as well? Yes. Initially, what we have seen when we were called as a consultant um, to the oncologic ward based on detrimental increases for antiprobian P because there it's already used I see. to control cardiotoxic therapy and we were called because they have 100-fold increased levels of antiprobian P that we shall perform echocardiography or something like that, whatever, and we found complete normal hearts yes and then we started to ask what is it and what does it mean um, especially as antiprobian p as well as troponin t as a morphologic marker antiprobian p is more the morphologic marker um, what does it really mean prior to cardiotoxic therapy after cardiotoxic therapy and to put it in a new context Yes, and also one of the things you pointed out in your paper that I have to admit I wasn't aware of is that many malignant cells produce vasoactive peptides, so vasopressin being one of those and adrenomedullin or endothelin one being another one, and, and that's clearly obviously a, a pathological mechanism. Yep. We know that um, most of these cardiovascular peptides, we, for most of them, we know the role in um, heart failure or, or cardiac dysfunction, but um, most of them have been also noticed in um, oncologic research. And um, most of these hormones are overexpressed, um, as you said, in um, malignant cells. And there is also a more or less analogous theory of, uh, about neurohumoral dysregulation, so to say, in malignant disease, where all these hormones are involved in a so-called autocrine loop yes. to sustain malignant cell growth. So one of the things that we notice in this data set is that there are a broad spectrum of cancers that you looked at and a broad spectrum of biomarkers. Did you find any interactions between the biomarkers or between the way they presented themselves in different cancers? Um, yes, the cancer entities per se were too small to calculate um, real differences. Um, what we have uh, seen, if we grouped it to solid and liquid tumors, that there was some interaction in distinct tumors, um, for instance, adrenomedulin and endothelin, and uh, this, um, this opened the question in how far distinct 
tumors express a different pattern or a different amount of of those hormones. Okay. So it looks like that it's not always the same picture, and therefore also the next step will be not only to look um, over time, but also to look really in distinct tumors which have the most have had the most signals. Yes, that's certainly a, a future research yep. question. If we talk a little bit about your study now, um, you, you examined uh, si around 600 patients um, and you took a, a wide panel of biomarkers, including the ones we've, we've mentioned. You also did atrionaturetic peptide um, and you then uh, followed these, these patients up. Let's first of all talk about the population in terms of the cancers they had. Um, there was quite a wide spread of, of cancers in this population. Can you tell us a bit more detail about that? Mm -hmm. Or study was a prospective one and um, we enrolled 555 patients with primary diagnosis of cancer prior to cardiotoxic therapy. I think that's important to mention. Mm. And due to the nature of a protocol, we had a very widespread and um, more um, tumor entities. We had a lot of, um, m most part of our patients had solid tumors with a high number of um, patients with breast cancer, also gastrointestinal tumors and uh, lung cancer. But we had also about um, more than 100 of patients with so-called liquid malignancies, so hematologic malignancies. Right. And we wanted to look at uh, common um, common processes um, between different cancer uh, etiologies. Yes, absolutely. And, and you touched on something there that's very important, which is that uh, how did you know in advance whether or not these patients had myocardial dysfunction? So, for example, so I, I, I think you, you screened them with, with BMP yes. and mm -hmm. ECG. Did, no, did every mm -hmm. patient have an echo or, or, or not every no, patient? No. no. Initially, we looked for a history of a cardiac disease. Mm -hmm. Additionally, every patient received the ECG and every patient, based on the protocol, um, received an anti-proBNP. And every patient who had either a not normal ECG or had a history of a cardiac disease or had markedly elevated anti-proBNP above 400 because when we started with our studies this was a guidelines above 400 picogram there's a high probability for heart failure those patients received echocardiography okay uh, and did you find a lot of patients had uh, pre-existing dysfunction systolic or diastolic or no no it's only 16 16 patients okay. who really had a significant heart failure so that's important. So the, bi yep. the biomarkers we're looking at, therefore, were not necessarily associated with heart failure. It may be the malignancy or, or some other process here that's, that's causing them to be raised. Yes, this is what we entirely do not know in how far it's a really early detection of development of a cardiac disease. Yes. Or whether this is a globally other problem. In, uh, in the context of progressing of the of progression of the disease. Okay, and in terms of the prospective element, what did you find in terms of the biomarker panel you looked at and, and the outcomes of these patients? So our data showed that um, all of the circulating cardiovascular hormones, so anti-pro BMP, MR-pro AMP, MR-pro ADM, um, CD-pro ET1 and copeptin, but also troponin were related to um, all-cause mortality. And um, this risk predictive value was also uh, remained significant after adjustment to age or um, tumor entity, tumor stage, GFR, 
or cardiac comorbidities. Yes, I think that's a, a fascinating finding that, that every biomarker essentially here gave you an increased risk of all-cause mortality. Was there any one that came out as, as, as worse than others or, or, or more predictive of outcomes? It's a good question. We didn't look on this. Uh, um, okay. We didn't look on this because it's not our primary question sure. in how far here is the best predictor. It's not an oncologic, new oncologic marker. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to know whether they are all increased. It's not a kind of race, but we just want to see how is it. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I think it's a fascinating finding, and to me it opens up a, a number of thoughts about how I would treat my patients clinically. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I often get asked to see patients with Herceptin cardiomyopathy after their ejection fraction has already gone down or, or something like this. From the findings of your study, I'm beginning to wonder whether I should be looking at them earlier and perhaps, as you say, Martin, picking up cardiac disease at an, at an earlier stage. Um, has it influenced your practice since, since you found these results or is it a bit early perhaps it's it's a bit too early yeah because our uh, data to be honest open more questions and answers it's the best type uh, of data <laughs> uh, yeah might be yeah. <laughs> so future will bring huh? um, and it's too early uh, to put it into a clinical uh, context what we we take it in so far into clinical context as we now do not say that an elevated troponin for instance is a question um, to avoid cardiotoxic therapy because we do not know is it really heart failure or is it based on the tumor right and um, troponin T is a morphologic marker something happens no doubt yeah Um, But as our data show, all these hormones and also troponin increase with the stage of the disease. Okay. It's also counterintuitive to withhold the therapy in just in such patients who are in most need for this therapy. So we do not know. Is this really cardiotoxicity? of the tumor, not of the therapy, of the tumor per se, if we have elevated troponins or antiprobian P, or is it just a picture of a more pronounced tumor? So there we are now very careful to decide on further therapy and discusses with the colleague in advance. Yes, I see. Uh, are you uh, able to tell me where you're going next with this sort of, of work? Maybe a larger study or maybe more mechanistic studies looking at, yeah. at, at why these biomarkers might make a difference? Yes, we have a lot of dreams. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now in the first step, what is, I think, is the next question, how do these hormones uh, behave over time? Okay. Uh, so we want to have repeated measurements to look what happens if patients receive a therapy. Mm. Does it really go down? What would be presumed if it is um, correlated with the severity of the disease? Uh, what happens just prior to event? Uh, because here we have a large time schedule with only a one point analysis and some events happens after two months and other others after two years and then we would receive really um, 
the values just uh, before the event. Mm. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Mm. So a longitudinal study. I mean, this would this, this would really be the next step. Yes, uh, I agree. Mm. Well, I, I think it's a really important paper. We're we're very grateful to you for sending it to us here at Heart, and uh, I'm sure to get a lot of feedback. So so thank you very much for sending it to us and thank you very much for coming to record this in the studio we were lucky as you mentioned martin has coincided with the european society of cardiology being in london this year so thank you for joining me in the studio it makes it less lonely than most podcasts so thank you for that. <laughs> thank you thank, thank you, you.